Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. Well, it's getting close towards the end of the year. Um, I'm going to take a bit of a break. I mentioned last week and I was thinking to myself, what am I going to share with you? And um, I guess the most obvious thing to share at this point in time, it's nothing to do with New Year and Christmas and and goal setting and things like that. Well, it could be, could be, could feed into it. Um, was really, I'm in the process of writing my next book. And the next book I'm writing, or the book I'm currently writing, is about property financing. Do need to kind of pull my finger out and get that done. So uh, that will be uh, on the radar for 2021. Uh, by the way, uh, l- listen in later, and I'll tell you perhaps how you can be one of the first people to hear about that. But um, so the forget 50 ways to leave your lover. Um, today is 12 ways to become your own bank or finance broker. Yeah, 50 ways to leave your lover does sound a bit more attractive as a title, I know, but you know, this one's much more us, isn't it really, as property investors and developers. Because here's the thing, um, as investors and developers, you know, in property, it, it's a very capital intensive um, sector, uh, activity, if you like, or business to be involved in. And, you know, it takes a lot of effort and time and obviously money to raise the funds to be able to get into property and then to maintain the growth and scale that we want to to achieve some of the goals that perhaps we want to achieve. And so I guess when you're starting out, it might be a bit daunting. How do you raise your first deposit? And even if you've got your first deposit, how do you keep going? Um, Perhaps if you're a bit further down the track, you might have all your money tied up in investments and how do you grow? you know, from that point of view. So you call that sort of a turnaround type of situation or an opportunity to grow from that point. And so raising money becomes a real, you know, core competence, a key skill that we we need to get good at. Uh, Certainly if we've got, you know, big ambitions, um, big goals that we want to aim for. I mentioned goals (laughs) Um, in the the sort of towards the year end uh, type of picture. So I think, you know, it's timely. And um, I thought, well, there's, there's a chapter in the book that's going to be, you know, becoming your own bank, essentially. And here's a sneak peek, really, I suppose, of what's going to go in that book. And as, as I mentioned, 12 ways I'm going to rattle through, actually, some of them. They break down into four categories. So the 12 ways to become your own bank or finance broker break down into four separate categories. And they are um, what I call self-generating um, personal equity raising, using a company, and and self brokering or uh, self broker fundraising, they're the four categories. So let me elaborate. So let's kick us off. Let's start looking at self generating. What can we do ourselves to uh, become our own bank or finance broker? In other words, well, I've got three in each of the uh, four areas. So that, that's a neat neat way to get to twelve, of course. So. The three I'm going to talk about under self-generating are savings and bonuses, uh, a garage or loft clearance, and alternative income streams. So they are pretty much what they sound like. So the very first one, savings and bonuses, and that's pretty much the first one everybody knows about, most people start with. Can I put some money aside 
um, uh, from either regular income or additional income, whether that's commissions, bonuses, could actually lead to inheritances as well here. Um, but, you know, it's, it's basically money that we've got. Can we strip out money from, from that to invest in property? And often it's slow, it's boring, it's uh, virtually risk-free, but it also means we don't owe anybody anything um, as, we, as we go along. So it's quite, quite neat in that respect. And it might help if you become a, 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 a dil- not only a diligent saver, but sometimes an extreme saver. And you might have heard of the FIRE movement or the FIRE community, which stands for Financial Independence and Retire Early. And in that community, um, there's people in their 20s looking to retire by their 30s. And in order to do that, they need to save extremely hard, significant double digits of their income, 50% above sometimes. So it can be done. Um, You don't necessarily need to have all the material things, for example, and just set aside everything. And if you just squirrel away that money and you put it, you invest it wisely, then it's it's possible to, to grow it and also then to live off the fruits uh, at some point. So saving um, and bonuses and similar sorts of thing is the first one. And got a couple of bonus tips for some of these. Um, the one, I guess, uh, the bonus tip really for savings and bonuses is really about, um, well, there's kind of two things. Uh, one is to minimize any fees, transaction fees, um, management fees in terms of managing our savings. So just be careful who you give it to. In other words, um, keep the fees low. Um, sort of one percent, you know, on your on on the total fund value is typical. You know, that'd be good and prudent cost. If you can get a bit less than that, you're doing well. If you're paying a bit more than that, mm, yeah, try have a, have a look at it. Have a look at what you're paying, and who and who's charging you, and what you're getting for it. And then the other thing, really, that's relevant here is tax. And so, um, obviously, if you make if you you get a return, whether it's capital or interest return on your money, then you want to try and retain as much of it uh, as possible. So perhaps look at things like an, uh, a, a tax wrapper, such as an ISA, to shelter it. So that's number one, savings and bonuses. Number two, I've labeled a, a garage clearance or a loft clearance. Um, I don't mean it literally, although it could be applied literally. It's stuff you've got hanging around the house or the flat or where you are. Um, and very often, just open your eyes. I, I just, in fact, I challenge you to do that. I did it myself earlier. I was kind of wandering around. And I was looking. I've got boxes around me. I've got stuff hanging around in drawers. Um, you know, there's just electronic devices kind of accumulating, uh, gathering dust. I remember I've got. Um, I was going to say, well, it's not. It, it's the iPod, isn't it? Yeah, the iPod that plays songs. I don't listen to iPod anymore. You know, and it's just gathering dust. It, you know, it's probably losing value actually in the drawer now and not being utilized. So, and um, um, the thing is, when I started out in property, I actually did all this. I cleared a load of stuff out. Um, at that point in time, I had a bunch of CDs. I, I ripped them all so they're all digital. And uh, and then I sold them. Um, I sold them on eBay in particular. I sold them at uh, car boot sales. Um, not just CDs, a bunch of stuff just didn't really need anymore. So it's a good excuse to kind of have a bit of a clear out of all your old tat and, uh, you know, do the garage, uh, sorry, not yeah, do the garage clear out, obviously, but then have a car boot sale or put stuff on eBay. Yes, it's a bit tedious. Yes, you know, it might be a bit cold right now to do this literally, uh, um, you know, in terms of a car boot. But, um, you know, you can get some money on that and just clear the way. It just feels good, by the way, to do that. And uh, you raise maybe hundreds of pounds rather than thousands of pounds, potentially, depending on what you've got. Um, but, uh, but there we go. So that's, uh, that's the second one, garage or, or loft clearance. 
The third one is uh, it's basically, so the first two are all about effectively utilizing our existing resources. So the first one was about income and the second one was about possessions. Uh, and the third one really is to generate additional income. So that's alternative income streams. And, and, it, and if, if saving is about delayed gratification with our money, then having a side hustle or a second job or a business on the side in some way is, um, is the equivalent for our time and potentially our know-how, depending on how we set things up. You know, I remember I cast my mind back to when I was a student, I was working for KFC um, to, to get some extra money in. And I had, a, I had a grant, I had a full grant, which I know dates me, but uh, I had a full grant. So the grant was my income. And then the part-time job with KFC you know, supplemented that income. So that's two, two income streams right there. And then um, I won't go into the fact that I was overdrawn with the bank and that was potentially a third one, but probably not a very wise one, actually. But that, that was the reality um, at that point in time. And as I've moved forward, obviously, with my life, I've ha- had side hustles, second jobs, multiple businesses, alternative income streams. And, and they've all been utilized at various points in time to generate additional funds to invest in my portfolio. And um, a little bit random, perhaps, this one, but it kind of related. Um, we could probably slot this into the savings and bonuses or the alternative income stream one. But the bonus tip here is uh, the rent-a-room scheme. So if um, you, you, you basically accept someone living in your home, that could be a permanent lodger or it could be occasional guest, Airbnb style. Um, but under the rent-a-room scheme, HMRC will allow you to earn seven and a half thousand, or rather up to seven and a half thousand pounds per year, tax-free. So uh, that's pretty good. Um, obviously, there's a compromise to be made, as there is with all of this, basically. And the compromise in that case, of course, is have some somebody else in your home. So I know it's not for everyone, but you know we're trying to. You know, I can't, I can't fix all the world's ills here. I'm trying to find a way that you can generate additional income to invest in property. So yeah, hear me out. Hear me out on that one. So they're the three under the sort of self-generating category, if you like. The next category up is what I call personal equity raise. So, um, we, you know, we're going to become our own venture capitalists here, um, I guess. And the first one is equity release. And, and lots of people who start out in property, they might, not ha- they might have a bit of savings, but they don't have significant amounts of capital. And potentially one way uh, in which people do this is with equity in their own home. And sometimes that's if they move home, they perhaps don't put all of the equity that they've released from their former home into the new home. And then they've got you know, a bunch of cash they can invest. Uh, they can remortgage, release cash, uh, essentially release money from your own home investment is what I'm driving at here. Um, now, obviously, uh, if you're borrowing and it's your own home, then you need to service that debt. So you need a, you need a, a solid income, um, strong affordability measures, et cetera, to be able to service that debt. So just be careful about not to overstretch yourself. Uh, on the flip side, of course, you'll be able to make money from the money that you release, so that will help offset some of the extra cost um, involved. But equally, don't forget, if you remortgage your home, typically it's a capital repayment mortgage, whereas, um, you know, so th- therefore you'll be paying the capital each month. So the cash flow might might not be as attractive or compelling as you might think. Um, and one little bonus tip on this one, um, they're not that common these days, but uh, if you uh, do some research you can and some digging, you can find what's called offset mortgages or, or equivalent names. And the idea of an offset mortgage is that basically you have a facility limit. So you could borrow up to a maximum amount. And the idea being that you could dip into it and dip out of it uh, at various points in time. 
Uh, equally, it, bring, it actually brings down the cost of your mortgage overall because technically you can put savings aside in the meantime. So it's quite it's quite flexible. It's quite good in that sense. It's quite quite a creative product. One of the better ones, I would say. Um, but the, the the idea of mentioning it here as a bonus tip is that you could uh, potentially draw down from your home on a temporary basis. So uh, I'm going to talk in a minute about you know drawing down. Um, uh, you know, borrowing, if you like, generally speaking, on a more permanent basis. But if you have an offset mortgage, you could pay it back. So you could do a project, perhaps release some money from a sale or refinancing and then pay it back. So that's quite a neat way of uh, making sure you don't get too overcommitted on your own home. So look at that one. That's the first one. The second one uh, is basically a second charge or further advance lending. Now, it, you could apply this to your own home, uh, take a, you know, apply a second charge. Well, certainly, certainly a further advance, you know, potentially. Uh, on your own home, it could be an investment property. It could be it could be a second home or a holiday home or something like that. Um, and you know, you might have an, a mortgage on it already. But if you've got enough equity, uh, enough headroom to be able to put a second charge in place or a further advance, you can do that either with the same lender or an alternative lender. And the the key distinction between a further advance and uh, a second charge, in my mind at least, that they they can be interchangeable to some extent. But a further advance is usually more long term and therefore more permanent. Um, so, you know, it's going to be harder to get rid of. Uh, whereas a second charge, you could apply that or you could link it to bridging uh, loan. And so in that case, you could perhaps, you know, have a second charge for the purposes of bridging uh, on a project, complete the project, get your money back and then pay off the second charge. So uh, it's quite neat in that sort of sense. And um, I don't know if you do know this, but you can actually take second charge bridging finance to fund a property uh, project and have security against your own home. So not many people actually know that's possible. Um, it is actually only possible through uh, regulated lenders. So it's not every lender in the marketplace will do that. Um, so look out for that one. So that's the second one, second charge or further advance uh, lending. Then the, the did I say second one? I meant to say second one. The third one is um, alternative asset refinancing. So this might not apply to everyone, and you know, there's perhaps something for everyone in this uh, podcast recording today. But when you're clearing out that garage or the loft, uh, just keep your eyes peeled, won't you? Because you might find a bit of fine art or uh, vintage wine, an antique or a classic car even. Uh, you might not miss that, hopefully, the classic car. It might be lurking in the garage under a sheet, dust sheet or something like that. But if you find something like that, then there's actually a specialist lending market. Uh, and some lenders will actually give you uh, lending with uh, that kind of asset security as well. And it's uh, it beats going down to the pawnbroker. <laughs> um, I guess it's a modern-day pawnbroker in reality, but there's a couple of people who do that sort of thing. So if you happen to be fortunate enough to have something of value, whether it's art or wine or cars or some, something similar, um, sometimes you can actually have this uh, this sort of alternative asset refinancing. So they're the three, if you like, in, in terms of equity raising. The next category, the third category I wanted to talk about was um, under the banner of using a company. And so there's a few things here that kind of group under that heading. The first one is pensions. Now, you might say to me, well, you don't need a company to, uh, to have pensions, Richard. Well, that's true. But in order to access those pensions for the benefit of your property investing and developing journey, um, this is the kind of pension I'm talking about, which is predominantly... Um, I was going to say it's the best kept secret in the property community, but I think the secret's getting out. Um, and that's a SAS pension, which is S-S-A-S, which stands for Small Self-Administered Scheme. And that's kind of a small company pension scheme for your business. 
so if you've got a property business or in fact a, a, a not a property business, you could potentially set up a SaaS, which is your own company pension scheme. And here's, here's the thing. First of all, you can put contributions into it, either through the company or through the individual member contributions or a combination. Um, you can also transfer in your old pensions. That's where I'm going with this. Because, you know, I was chatting to someone the other day um, and he worked, I think, four years, was it? I think four or five years with uh, a, a company. Oh, I'm not going to mention the name. Um, about 10 years ago. That was it, just contributed to the scheme. The company contributed, he contributed. And um, we were chatting about, you know, look at, the, look at a SaaS, because I'm looking at people becoming their own bank, advising him. And I said, why don't you just check out your old pensions? And he went away and he did that. And he came back, he said, blimey, it's worth 90,000. So four years of contribution 10 years ago has grown into a fund value, transfer value of 90,000. So that's actually, if you put it into a SaaS, that's then usable. Um, at least some of it's usable in terms of uh, property. I'm not going to go into too much detail because there's a lot of rules and regulation. Uh, but if you do want to know more, actually, uh, Richard Parker, uh, you might have heard on this podcast in the past. Um, he was on the um, Going Full-Time in Property series. Um, and he wrote a book recently called SaaS Pension Legacy. So uh, just look that up in uh, on Amazon if you want to know more. There's, it's very practical. That's the reason why I like that particular book. And then I'll tell you much more about that. But as a bit of a bonus tip, um, all personal and company contributions into any pension are in fact tax deductible. Obviously, this includes into a SAS as well. So in fact, HMRC could be your banking partner as well in reality. So there you go. Pensions, the first one, SAS pension in particular. Uh, you can do you can invest in property for a SIP as well, but it's more restrictive. Um, so you know, I'm not taking you down a certain path, but you know, you can invest in SIPs, but by all means look into it. But SAS is perhaps a little bit more flexible. Um, there's a number of people in my community who are looking at SASs at the moment. Uh, the second one in this category is an intercompany loan. Now, if you happen to have a company because you've got a business or you are a contractor operating through a service company, and maybe you've accumulated cash and profits over the years, then one way in which you can utilize those is, uh, you know, in a very tax-efficient way, <coughs> oh, excuse me, is through uh, lending, uh, lending from the business to your property, a separate property investment or trading company. And that would be called an intercompany loan. So um, there's a number of benefits of doing it company to company. And I'll come on to another one in a minute and you'll see the difference. But if you do an intercompany loan, you can choose to charge interest. You don't have to charge interest. So, um, you know, depending on what your personal circumstances are, you might choose to do that. You may not choose to do that. But if you've got money lying around in the company, you don't want to extract it and perhaps pay tax on dividends or salary, for example, you could lend it to your property company and, uh, and make use of it and hopefully get a better return on investment than the cost of any interest that you choose to charge yourself. So that's the second one. The third one is director's loans. Um, now, a lot of people think about director's loans as putting money into the company. And um, yep, we all, we all do that, basically. But you can also take money out of a company through, uh, for, in the form of director's loans. Um, now, a director's loan is not as advantageous from a tax point of view as an intercompany loan. Uh, an intercompany loan is seen as a, something as what they call an arm's length transaction, even if the companies are related. But if, the, if there's a director's loan, um, it's now seen as a benefit in kind. It becomes a bit complex, you know, from a tax point of view uh, as well. So you probably need to take some professional advice um, in terms of director's loan. And also, 
the dif- difference being really that an intercompany loan can can operate for a longer period of time. A director's loan, if it's overdrawn, i.e., you're taking money out of the company, you owe the company money. Then you know if you owe, if you take it out for a considerable period of time, then you're going to pay some tax. There's going to be a, a real cost associated with that. So the bonus tip is uh, make sure you don't uh, take it out too long with a director's loan and take some professional advice. I suggest. So they're the uh, three under using a company. Um, the the final category is um, what I call self broking, uh, self broking fundraising, or becoming a self broker. And um, the categories here are uh, the first one is what basically so this is like going out and raising money if you like from an external source. And the first one is friends and family. Well, that's that's you know a place that most people would you know naturally think of. Doesn't always work. <laughs> do your family like you? Do your friends like you? Do they have money in the first place? You know, do they trust you in this in this business of property? Um, it's not always straightforward. Um, but uh, I do have a saying actually, and uh, the saying goes like this: the closer the source of funds is to our heart, the lower the rate, the lower the interest rate. <laughs> um, it's not always true, but generally, if there's a bit of love involved, hopefully, it's worth a few percentage points off on the rate. Um, so, you know, just, just whoever you're asking, perhaps, perhaps they'll do you a favor in that sense, but maybe they won't, but, you know, but at the same time, if they, if they're prepared to stump up money to help you along your journey and let's face it, our family often are our biggest supporters, our, you know, sometimes our friends and they want to see us succeed. They want to see us achieve our goals in life. So, you know, can't harm, can it, to have a conversation at least. Um, the bonus uh, tip in this respect is, um, is really to treat this seriously so don't just say, oh, I want to get into property, give me some money and go and blow it. You know, um, treat it as a commercial arrangement with, any, with friends and family. Uh, take it seriously. Have a clear business plan or investment case, um, you know, about what you're going to do with it. Um, always take really good care with other people's money. Uh, always take care with other people's money, more so than your own, I would suggest, especially friends and family, because it might be precious to them. They may love you, but, you know, ideally, I think they want to see their capital back. And, and, and the final point is, Whatever the relationship, put it in writing. Seriously, put it in writing. So uh, there's a bonus tip on that one. And that's the first category. In that sense, um, the second one is uh, peer-to-peer and crowdfunding. Now, technically, you, you know, that's kind of through a lender. Um, it's usually through a platform. And the reason it's in this list is that you don't always need to go through a broker or an intermediary to get access to peer-to-peer lending or crowdfunding equity raising. And that usually breaks down in that way. Peer-to-peer is usually debt. Crowdfunding is usually equity. Um, And, you know, lots of everyday people and not-so-everyday people, sometimes you need to be a sophisticated investor, especially with equity. Um, You know, giving or receiving equity, you often have to be high net worth or sophisticated to get into the crowdfunding side of it. Peer-to-peer, not necessarily, but sometimes, you know, it is becoming more regulated and it's good to know what you're doing. Um, but there's people looking for a decent return on their money and uh, maybe they could give it to you. Well, give it to you, but, you know, lend it, advance it, et cetera, subject to. Um, but the bonus tip here is really the key phrase is, is present yourself as being either bankable and or investable. So bankable with a peer-to-peer, investable into the crowdfunding. Um, and yeah, we could talk a little bit more about what that means, but essentially um, the best thing to do there, in fact, the tip really is to sign up to the platform as either a lender or uh, an equity provider, if you qualify, and see, have a look on the inside, see how other people are doing it. And then just pick a mix and cherry pick, if you like, the best of the presentations 
Um, and obviously, don't do anything that's not you, but uh, bake it into your own presentation and put your best foot forward is what I'd suggest in that sense. So that was peer-to-peer uh, -peer and crowdfunding. Um, and you've probably been waiting for me to say this for the whole of the episode so far, and I think we're 23 minutes in, um, is private financing and joint ventures. Ah, yes, of course. The holy grail of the property investment community. Um, uh, at a property networking meeting near you, you probably hear people are going looking for investment. Um, here's, by the way, just, just a quick piece of advice on that one. Probably a bonus, bonus tip. I hadn't really thought about sharing this until this moment. But in the room of property investors, do you think you're going to find the majority of people looking to invest uh, or people who are looking for investment? Uh, spoiler alert, it's probably something like 2% of the room who are looking to invest and 98% of the room looking to you know, receive investment. So the odds of actually attracting investment, they're not impossible. Not, you know, they're, they're not zero, but they're you know, not always high, let's say. Uh, and you might get lucky. You might walk into your first networking meeting the very first time, have a coffee with someone, and they become your joint venture partner. And then you write to me and go, Richard, I proved you wrong. And that's okay. Uh, I'm just trying to be realistic about it. So, um, and maybe part of it's even down to my own mindset, because in my own case, uh, it took me half a decade, five years, to raise my first 250000 in terms of private investment. Uh, whereas in the second half of the decade, the remaining five years, obviously, um, I've raised over $4 million. So I did a bit better, obviously, in the last five years than I did in the first five years. And that says something to you, probably. Um, it tells me something that I didn't do so great in the first five years. And, you know, there's a few reasons for that. Um, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I didn't have a strong track record. I was building my credibility. And maybe I didn't have the same, you know, the right belief, even a, a, the sort of money mindset even. And, and, and I guess the, um, you know, the, the thing about um, uh, private financing joint ventures, it can be a real game changer. It certainly has been for me, um, particularly if you can access private finance to, uh, for development financing or equity. Um, it can be a significant game changer in what you can achieve in this business. So it's worth persevering. It's worth perfecting. Uh, it's worth, uh, you know, sticking, sticking to it, really, which I think is the same as perseverance, but there we go. Um, and the bonus tip here. Now, this one, you know, just this might sound counterintuitive, but if you go chasing cash, it will run away from you. And yet if you relax and let cash come to you, it will flow towards you. Now, I'm obviously going to leave it at that. I'm not going to go into uh, great detail, but just, just think about that. Uh, if the more you chase it, the, the more elusive it becomes. Uh, and if you just you know, become more the oak tree and, and attract it to you, and there's various ways to do that, then usually it flows towards you. Uh, and obviously, you know, it, coupled with things like having a track record, having credibility, uh, knowing what you're doing, you know, is always useful. So there we go. So there's the three in terms of the um, self-broking or you know, fundraising part of it. And that really completes the list, actually. So that's what I wanted to share with you today. Um, this is, uh, I kind of mentioned the book, didn't I? Uh, property financing book that I'm in the process of writing. Yes, it's slow going, but it's going to be worth it, okay? Uh, I promise you, it's going to be worth it. And, you know, you can see from what I've just shared with you, this is going to form, if, if you like, the heart of, the, of one of the chapters, which is all about being your own bank. And I always talk about people that I engage with, whether it's mentoring, for example, you know, about trying to be our own bank and exploring all of these particular angles. Because if you can, if you can 
you know, raise money in, in one, two or three of these areas, then it's going to be a lot easier for you, frankly. So uh, hopefully that's been useful for you. Um, if you're interested in um, perhaps hearing about the book when it's finally going to be published, it's going to be 2021 now. I was hoping it was going to be this year, but it's going to be 2021. Um, then you can always uh, drop an email. Uh, if you drop an email to admin at thepropertyvoice.net and ask to go on the new book release list, uh, you're going to be one of the first people to hear. So uh, it also encouraged me to kind of pull my finger out and get the book written. I'm really looking forward to getting this one out because it won't be just your, your vanilla buy-to-let financing book, let's put it that way, as you possibly can tell from what I've shared with you in this, uh, in this particular episode. So there we go. Um, I guess all that remains for me to say is, uh, as usual, the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. So head over to that. There'll be a transcription included. And, um, and obviously any resources I've mentioned, which uh, is probably Richard Parker's book and how to get on the reading list. So head over there. And, uh, and, and I guess aside from that, it's uh, another week has gone. And thanks so much for listening once again this week um, on the Property Voice podcast. And until next time, Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.